Welcome, everybody, back to the Rooted and Edified show. We are so glad that you're joining us today. You are here for a special episode. I am your host, Caddy Elias. You are joining us for an episode titled Finding Joy in Every Season. And we have a special guest that you are going to love because I love her, Dana Wynn. We're going to do a happy dance for you. Yeah, that's a good happy dance. All right. Before we introduce our special guest today, I want to tell you a little bit more about our podcast. This podcast is sponsored by and is a part of Beautifully Rooted, which is a Christian mental health and education corporation. The Rooted and Edified show is a fun-loving, no-facade, Bible-believing, conservative Christian worldview show for both men and women who want to hear real-life testimonies, topics that are interesting and applicable, talents within the church, and also to discuss theology. We want to help encourage you in growing deeper in your relationship with Christ and more mature in your walk. As a reminder, we put out a video and an audio podcast. If you want to find out more information or you're just so excited about what is going on here, you want to support us or you want to be part of this, go to our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com, which is B-E-Y-O-U. Let's jump in and introduce this amazing woman of God, Dana Wynn, who is part of Overcome Ministry. We want to cheer for you that you're here with us. So very happy, Dana, that you are with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me tell you a little bit, and this is just a snidbit of the amazing woman Dana Wynn is. Dana is a pastor's wife. She is mommy of four. She is a grandma of a 17-month-old grandson. And in 2017, God entrusted his Overcome Ministries to Dana to shepherd over it. Overcome Ministries is a restoration ministry that provides Christ-centered resources, Bible studies, support group studies, biblical counseling, workshops, and events. They're amazing. You're going to want to go, and you're going to want to check it out, and I will give her some time to tell you about it because you're going to want to go. Dana has experienced remarkable God-breathed victories despite a broken past that she shares that she's very honest about. Her passion for the Bible, intensity and transparency of sharing how God has redeemed, restored, and set free her life invites women into a deeper relationship with Christ and his I have seen it and I know it's true. Lastly, she was here in California, pretty darn close to me here, but God has called her and her husband to move to Oklahoma. And so that is where she is now residing. Dana, can you tell us more about yourself and definitely tell us about Overcome Ministries as well? Yeah, well, thank you for the introduction because that summed it up quite a bit. But yeah, we're in Oklahoma. We just see God's hand in all of that. He's moved Overcome Ministries with us as well, but there's a lot going on still in California. I know Kat, you and I, we want to still collaborate because our ministries, they mirror each other. And so I know that God is going to have us doing some things together. But we do have our retreat. Our very first Overcome retreat is May 20th through the 22nd of next year. 2022. 22. It will be in Kine Valley, California, which is like San Diego County. Keep that in prayer. That retreat's going to be all about walking with Jesus. It's going to be an amazing retreat. It's going to be a small retreat because we're going to be really going deep and doing some deep healing. Our website is overcomewithjesus.org. We're on Instagram, Facebook. We don't do a lot on Facebook. So Instagram, Overcome Ministries, but that's what we're going to post. We'll probably launch the registration in April, I think. So keep watching for that. So yeah. They definitely want to plug into your Instagram. That's for sure to know what's coming up. And you have regular posts that you have that you are encouraging women. Yes. Follow us on Instagram. That is where we do our support, encouraging. That's where we do all of our postings to let you know it's coming up in the 
ministry or get on our email list. You can go to our website. Either way, you can find us. Thank you so much for telling us about Overcome Ministries. One thing I guess I should mention is there's such a camaraderie ship of the women that follow your ministry. They really seem like sisters in Christ, that fellowship and that are supportive of each other. You're going to want that. So I want you to check this ministry out. Let's jump into talking about joy, about finding joy in every season. I know that you felt God calling you to study this particular topic about joy for years. That's why we're so thankful that the Lord has called you to do that. You've been doing that study and that you're here with us today. When we talk about joy, I think we're talking about joy in really three different seasons, or at least that's what we're going to cover today. One, joyful seasons. We love those. We love it when things are going well. What we're going to be talking about there is how do we sustain that joy, even when things start not going well? What do we do in those times to fully feel it and then to be able to sustain that joy? The second season that I think of are mundane seasons. Seasons where, you know, maybe life is not too bad, but life's not too good either. It's just kind of right here in the middle. Maybe not a lot of growth happening. Maybe not a lot of events or changes happening, but not terrible either. How do we have joy in those times? And then last Lastly, how do we have joy during difficult seasons, during trials, when there's changes and loss that's going on or things we can't control, when we don't see the fruit and the blessings of doing the work that it takes as a believer? What do we do? How do we maintain joy when our life is a little bit hectic? Let's start off with discussing joy and the Christian life. Do you think that having joy and just joy itself is part of the Christian life? And do you think it has anything to do with Jesus? Yes, I do. Yes, yes to both of those. Because the joy of the Lord is the gladness of heart that comes from knowing God, abiding in Christ, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22, 23. And I think that our Christian duty to rejoice in the Lord is to continue to rejoice and delight in him daily. And I love 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, which says, always be joyful. And when you ask, does it have anything to do with Jesus? It's all about Jesus. And Jesus exemplified joy in his ministry. And if we think about his enemies, his enemies accused him of being too joyful on occasions. And Jesus himself, he described himself as a bridegroom enjoying a wedding feast. I love that. And I think just Jesus is the example. You know, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, just like we should. And I love in John, it's 15, 11, where he says, I have told you these things so that my joy and delight may be in you and that your joy may be made full and complete and overflowing. So I love it when you get that scripture that Jesus is telling you he has joy. He's our example. So yes, yes to both of those questions. Absolutely. Yes. Going along that continuum a little bit, Christians nowadays, a lot of times make a distinction between joy and happiness. Do you think there's a difference? And if so, what do you think is the difference between joy and happiness? Why do we say this all the time in the Christian circles now? Well, it's funny because when I saw that question, Kat, and I thought this is a big thing for Christians. It's one of those things that sometimes can divide us. But I was looking in the dictionary definition of happiness, and it says a state of well-being, a pleasurable or satisfying experience. And the definition of rejoice, which is related to the word joy, is to feel great delight, to be glad. So depending on what translation you're using, the Bible uses words happy and happiness about 30 times, but joy and rejoice appears over 300 times in the Bible. So joy is often presented as true contentment based on faith and happiness in contrast is often thought of as false or superficial emotion dependent on circumstances. Like, but, and this is where I think sometimes as Christians, we can, you know, get in this debate, but there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that we divorce joy from happiness. The two are equal. Of course, there's different types of joy and happiness. There's a joy that comes from the world, 
hope, like these fleeting pleasures of sin that's spoken about in Hebrews 11, 25. And there's a joy that is part of the fruit of the spirit. Back to Galatians again, right? I think there's a temporary happiness and an eternal happiness. We can call both happiness. I think as Christians, we can get into these things that God doesn't want us to be arguing about. We just need to decide where our joy comes from. Are we happy in the Lord or are we content with the happiness of the world? I think that too, the joy of the Lord, I can be difficult to explain to somebody who doesn't possess it. But for a believer in Christ, the joy of the Lord comes naturally. When we think about grapes on the vine and as we abide in Christ, who is the true vine and we're the branches and we're full of his strength and the fruit that we produce, including joy, that is his doing, which it tells us that in John 15, 5. It says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me, I and them will produce much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let's jump in to some of the three seasons that I mentioned earlier. Let's start with the joyful stuff because we want to start off happy. Sometimes people get fearful to really let themselves go. They don't want to let themselves enjoy because it will be hard to pull themselves back together when things start falling apart. They're kind of afraid for that next thing that's going to happen. Any thoughts or advice you'd have for these folks? Do you think Christians should guard their hearts and reserve a little bit of that happiness so that and that joy so that when something comes up, the drop won't be so high or so far down? Yeah, I think that guarding our heart is like that fine line where we could fall into sin, like we guard our heart too much. And not only are we keeping people and things out, but we keep God out. When I think about people in joyful seasons and that they have a difficulty being in that joyful season, I think it goes back to regrets a lot of times that we can be overwhelmed with regrets that are due to sin, the choices we made. And because of that sin, it's left these scars and consequences. And I think after a lifetime for a lot of us that became Christians later in life, it feels like a lifetime of living selfishly. I think then later we just get overwhelmed by the regrets that we have, that we can't experience that joy. We almost feel guilty of being able to just receive that joy and know that God has forgiven us and that God wants us to have joy. He wants us to be joy. I mean, I just read it in First Thessalonians it says, be joyful always. He doesn't say, well, sometimes unfortunately in those seasons of joy that when we haven't fully walked through a process of healing and let God heal and really receive that forgiveness and understand what Jesus did on that cross for us, we allow the enemy to continue to rob us of that joy. You know, you have it, God gives it to you and then immediately you let the devil come and just steal that because we're still holding ourselves in contempt and condemnation. We just don't feel like we're worthy to have that joy. You know, I can have a little bit, but I can't have all of it. And I think guarding our heart too keeps us in a place of not being able to really experience the fullness of the joy that God wants to give us. Now let's discuss mundane seasons. What would you tell somebody who doesn't have much going on right now or who might be in a pattern of nothing really changing? For example, someone who feels like life is pretty boring. Maybe they feel like every day is pretty much the same. Maybe another person who doesn't have a lot of contacts or someone who doesn't have a lot of requirement to meet other people's needs. Maybe someone who isn't doing horrible but isn't doing well either. Who maybe even some the people who have a low-grade depression like a dysthymia. They're not severely depressed. They're just not very happy. They're just kind of in that gray, that blah. That's how they're kind of living life robotically. Do you think that growth can happen in these mundane seasons? Or is there something a believer maybe needs to do? How do you have joy in these mundane seasons? Well, I think that none of us can escape the mundane moments. I don't think that we should try to or want to escape those because I'm convinced that there's good things that can happen even when it doesn't seem like it. I believe that also that there's truths about mundane moments in life. There's opportunities that are hidden within. I think one is that you choose whether or not that moment's going to be wasted. And Ephesians, Paul tells 
tells us to pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So we choose whether or not we're wise when we make the most of every opportunity. I also think that mundane moments are a test. They're a test as to whether or not we'll be wise, but they're often tests that determine whether or not we will shrink in the entertainment or despair, or if we're still going to look to God in those moments. Every moment, whether it's scary, joyful, or mundane, it should lead us to a dependence on God. And there's also treasure that's buried in these mundane moments. And I think that the treasure that's buried in life, it's often in those regular mundane moments. But unless you learn to appreciate them while they're happening, you'll lose them. And we don't get the treasure back. So we have to dig and discover the treasure in every moment, especially those mundane moments. Then those moments, you just think this is all there is. And you're not even looking ahead. And I'm going to think about King David when he was busy watching the sheep and being faithful in the mundane moment for him when he was anointed to be king. I think we should never underestimate what's on the other side of our proper response to that mundane situation. We have to be faithful where we are. We have to look to God in that season. I'm just convinced though that good things will come even when life feels mundane. But those are the times I think where we've got to be on guard. We've got to be alert. We've got to be aware. We have to be careful because it's in those moments that we can slip into some maybe past sinful ways or like I said earlier, entertainment or whatever, instead of being connected with God and being in the word. What are you busy doing in those moments where God kind of is is silent and not too much is happening? Because with God, something's always happening. We just have to be willing to see it. I'm wondering if when we are in the season when things are mundane, where we feel like we're kind of coasting along, maybe we're not exactly hearing from the Lord. I'm wondering if one reason is because we're being in obedience to God, we're waiting on him. Like Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We're in that season of where we're being obedient, but we're waiting to see what the Lord is going to do. But then I'm wondering if another reason might be because we're not being obedient to God and maybe we're coasting in our Christianity and we're not growing. We may think we're not regressing, but in the Christian life, if you are not being proactive in some way, you're falling behind and you're falling away. There's a difference between being still, but you can still be proactive while being still. And so I'm just wondering if when we are finding we're in those seasons, we need to do some introspection, go back in prayer, see, are we being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling us? Can we hear the Holy Spirit and asking the Lord, am I, am I waiting upon you and doing the right thing, Lord? Or am I not doing enough right now in my walk, in my life, that there are no challenges that are being presented? So I'm not growing. Right. I think it's a time of reevaluation. When we think of joy in these seasons, there's highs and there's lows and then there's valleys. I do think when you're in that valley or in that lull area, or that mundane, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a a great opportunity that maybe sometimes God is like, I'm going to keep you in this valley here to just be still, which that verse is one of the hardest things to do. But when you reevaluate, what that means is that you have to take a look inside and not look outward. And maybe you've been doing a lot of ministry, you've been doing a lot for God, but you've lost your way in a sense of why are you doing it? Have you started doing it for your own gain and for your own notoriety? You know, And so sometimes I think maybe it's like a, a regrouping with God kind of bringing you back into this place of stillness and saying, okay, like let's regroup and let's evaluate. And maybe there is some areas in your walk that need to be looked at. It's like, okay, there's some things going on that God needs to work on and giving you that time to be still so that you can look within and start seeing some areas that need some work. Maybe, maybe there needs healing. Maybe there, whatever, whatever those things are, but I love though how God knows what we need. And he gives us all of those seasons of, of high joy and low joy. And because we need that, if we were just always joyful in that season, there's learning in 
in every season and it isn't all bad. God doesn't do things that are going to be harmful to us, but things that are going to prosper us, things that are going to grow us closer to him and help us to grow and mature in our faith. So we need all those ups and downs and valleys. There's importance in every one of them. So we should never look past one or try to get through the mundane one to get to the next hot. We need to just sit in that season, but again, not get too distracted on things that are not of God. And I love that you're bringing up having a mundane season can be a normal part of life. Sometimes there's just a working phase and it looks like putting in the same work every single day because that's what needs to happen for things to get better eventually, or those are just the needs that are there. But I'm thinking that when we go back to prayer and we tell the Lord, hey, you know, it's not a lot of exciting stuff. And actually, this is kind of hard. This is, I'm just kind of in the thick of it. That's what it feels like. I imagine that the Lord will probably reveal, this is where I have you right now. I think when you're in a season of being still and you're looking around you, and when we look outward, we get in trouble. We're like, well, they're doing this and they're doing, and then you feel this urge, I need to be doing something. We don't always have to be doing something in that mundane season. We have to be careful about not looking at what God has other people doing and knowing that maybe he has somebody else doing something in place of you because he wants you to just be still with him. I think that could be another area too, when we're in that season to really be careful about looking outward and just looking inward with God and spending that time. Like, what are you doing with me during this time of quietness? If we talk now, we jump into the probably one of the most difficult seasons for many people, that difficult season. One of our goals with the Women's Ministry of Beautifully Rooted is to help point people in the right direction in which their joy is not dependent upon their circumstances, on people, or on things, but on Christ alone. Everything else should add to our joy, but not be the cause of it, the source of it. I know that is in line with your ministry goals. I'm guessing that's in line with your ministry goals with Overcome Ministries. Now, you're an honest person. You lay it on the table. It's one of the things I love about you, and one of the characteristics that's so rooted in your ministry is you just lay it out, no facade. It is what it is. Do you think it's truly possible for people to have joy even when you're going through tough circumstances? Yeah, well, 100%. And out of all of the seasons, it's like, it's always a difficult season that God has the most say. Not that there isn't equal joy in all the other ones, but I think it needs this being in the difficult season. It's like, there's so much more to say about it because oh, that's the season where people feel like there's just no way out. And we have to go back to scripture, right? So James 1, 2 through 4, it says, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Christians can be happy even in the midst of uh, difficulties because we know the testing of our faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So absolutely we can persevere through trial, but we can only do that with God's help. And our faith strengthens and matures by God's grace when we can be happy despite our circumstances. So when people say, but but how, how can we find joy in the midst of our junk, our, our hardships, our painful circumstances? First, we have to understand that the joy that the world gives is not the same joy that the Spirit gives. For a believer, the fruit of the Spirit, including joy, I love this, it's like a bottomless well of water, that there's always an abundant supply. Even in your darkest days where there's sadness and there's grief and loss that may threaten to overwhelm you, God's joy is there. And then secondly, we need to understand that God's joy cannot be taken away. Nobody can steal, not even the the enemy, unless you let him, can steal the joy that God has given you. And as believers, we're promised the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. We are promised his joy, just as our salvation is assured through Jesus, one-time sacrifice for all. And this is in Jesus's words, John 15, 11, which it says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I love that verse. And then thirdly, we have to stop wallowing and whining and complaining. And we need to grab God's joy, like literally 
literally grab is joy, just like salvation. Joy is free, a perfect gift from God. And we have to reach out and accept that gift. He's not just going to like throw it down our throat, just like salvation. So we have to grab onto it. It's like a lifeline. Joy is a choice. We have to choose joy over bitterness, anger, and sorrow. We have to make a decision to choose joy every day, no matter what. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we don't run to victory. We run from victory. Why? Because John 16, 33 says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. We can overcome because Jesus has already overcome everything. Even adverse circumstances, instead of hindering our faith, they can actually enhance our joy. Absolutely. In those moments of adversity, God is so present in those moments with us of wanting to show us through his word that we have to trust him that there's purpose in our pain. God doesn't waste anything. And we can go to the book of Job. If you think you're suffering, you think you have difficulties, just read the book of Job because then your life doesn't look so bad. I think too that we have to be reminded. And if you don't know this, this may be new for some of you, but you have to know that whatever is happening to you right now, just like with Job, nothing happens to us unless it is first sifted through the hands of God. Nothing happened to Job. The the, the devil had to go to Jesus and ask him, right? And he allowed him to do certain things. And then he said, there's some things you can't do to him too. So nothing that's happening to you is not already sifted through. Jesus already knows. And he's either allowing it or he's causing it all for his glory and our good. There's purpose in our pain. There's purpose in whatever you're going through. God is going to use it. And yes, sometimes we've got to walk through it. But we should be walking through it with him because if you're walking through it alone, then you're going to have major problems. And God never says walk through trials alone. He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ to do life with. And he gives us him. And over and over in scripture, he tells us, come to me. Let me carry your burdens. He says, first Peter, I love this. Casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him for he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you carefully and I love that because it can't say all any more times than that it doesn't just say give me some so if God is telling us to give him all cast everything on me then why do we hold on to it why do you want to hold on to all that pain when you have somebody that's telling you give it to me if I told you let me just carry some of that for you I don't have the capabilities I don't have the amount of love that Jesus has to carry all of your stuff but he does, but yet we don't go to him, right? I think that's a great question. Why don't we? Because we have a God who tells us we can go to him without reproach. If we have lack wisdom, he will give it freely. If we ask for it without reproach, he won't come back at us and say, how could you not know? And how could you mess up? I can't believe it. And no, he wants us to repent and turn towards him. And the question is, when we're going through hard times, we have a God who will receive us who already has received us when we didn't deserve him, and he will receive us now. Why don't we? Is it because he's not there or he's not willing? No, because like you said, no, he tells us to bring everything. Why don't we? Those are things that we have to look at because when we are in the midst of trials, man, our emotions can swell up. And along with those emotions, our pride swells up. Man, it's really hard to come back down to be able to take all that stuff to the Lord. Sometimes we get fearful about, but if I give this to you, Lord, can I trust you? I've been hurt before by other people. Are you the same? Are you gonna do that? 
And a lot of times we entrust 90% of our heart and we say, as Christians, we say, oh no, I, I have surrendered. But what we mean is I have surrendered 90%. For men and women, trust is a huge issue. It is what divides us and what separates us from God because we look at our earthly parents and we think we see Jesus that way and it's hard to trust God. And then I think it's the feelings and emotion that rob us of joy. And, and although emotions are God-given, they're either pleasant or they're unpleasant. They're not good, they're not bad. But I think that we have to make a choice whether or not we're gonna use our emotions to honor Christ or to harm ourselves and others. The only way we can deal with emotion is we have to recognize it. And so I love the acronym. It is action. A, which is acknowledge the emotion. Because again, you've got to recognize the emotion. So it's acknowledge the emotion. C, consider why you have it. T, thank God that he will help you master it. I, identify the biblical response to it. O, obey the Holy Spirit's leading. And N, nurture the appropriate fruit of the Spirit, which is memorized Galatians. When we think about our emotions and, and how we're living and what is driving us, is it that our trust in God, that he, he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Or are we functioning out of that feeling and that lack of trust that I'm only going to trust you 90% in that? But because even though 90 is more than 10, that 10% is really more than 90% because there's so much untrust, there's so much pain. There's so much hurt in that 10% that God's got to sift all that out of you so that he has 100%. What happens is that if we surrender, that means we lose control. We're giving control over to somebody that we don't really truly trust. And I've had those moments where I've had to say to God, you know, when I'm stuck in the moments of, of all these years of healing, and I'm, I'm like, what is the deal? And I've had to humbly say to this righteous and almighty God, I don't trust you. And it's that scripture that says, um, I believe it's a mark with that father about that demon, you know, the, how Jesus healed his son in that. And he said, and he's asking them for mercy. And he says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And it's, we need Jesus. It's like, we do believe, but I think each one of us has a bit of that unbelief. And we have to, just like that father cry out in that desperate cry saying, Jesus, I believe, I want to believe, I want to trust you, but I don't. And that's when Jesus comes in and says, I know you don't because he knows everything. We're not hiding it from him, but with surrendering, it means sometimes it means just sitting at his feet and just saying audibly, I don't trust you, but I want to trust you. And he says, okay, now I can deal with it because you've given it to me. And in trials, when you're going through this stuff, it's trusting this God who tells you he's there for you. He'll carry your stuff. Just come in. And sometimes I think God is like, Man, if they, she would just come to me. This could all be over quicker. I love remembering that the fruit of going through those difficult seasons, as hard as it may be, the fruit of surrendering those vulnerabilities to the Lord and what, whatever junk is going on inside of our heart, giving it to him, that process and trusting him is part of the healing process. And the Lord taking care of that is part of the healing process. That is part of the fruit that we get from these trials because we now know that we can trust the Lord. It's funny, I was thinking as you were sharing about that, um, just like the surrendering to God. And when we think about all the stories that we have in the Bible, and we can look at our own experiences. If you just say, well, every time I've gone to God and I've poured it out and I've just been honest with him, how did God receive me? Well, we know that we have a, a Jesus that's long-suffering. He's never going to receive what we give him, even if we're angry, even if we say, I don't like you. Anything that we could say, he's still going to receive us with love and care. But we got to invite him into it. God's not just going to jump into it and invade our space. We have to invite him and say, okay, I'm, I'm like surrender. I can't do it anymore. So, and then God's going to be like, yes. Always meets us. You know, 
one of the things I was thinking about while you're talking about looking back, so that's one way that resilience is built. When you look back, you don't look back to stay stuck or to look and identify with where the Lord has brought you from or what you've done that's so bad. You don't you don't look back for that to be your identity. What you look back for is to, to remember that God pulled you through, that God always sought you through. And so when you're going through something now, you'll know and you can remind yourself, the Lord has seen me through before. He will see me through again now. And I love your reminder. We need to be in the word. We need to remember his promises. What does it say? Because sometimes when you're filled with emotions, you don't remember a darn thing. You don't remember anything logical or anything that would tell you, hey, here's how you get peace. You need to go back into scripture to remember what does the Bible say about peace? How does he give peace? We have to trust in him and focus on him, like Isaiah 26, 3 tells us. And all these other scriptures that tells us that he will provide peace, we need to be reminded of those things and remember his promises. Another thing that I was thinking about is a lot of times I'll say faith is not faith unless it's tested because it's easy to have faith when you're going through easy times. There are things that are inside of our heart that you don't see when things are going well because we're not under duress. We're not under stress. But when you enter a whole bunch of stress and things that are out of our control. Now you start seeing these parts of ourselves that get revealed, that the Lord reveals to us. And then the second thing I was thinking was, oftentimes if we are not in some sort of discomfort, we don't grow. I mean, how many times do we grow out of comfort? It's very rare. You know, I know you have been studying Mary and her life, and you've been studying it for years. If I remember correctly, when the Lord called you to study about this topic of joy, he called you to Mary. Right, right. I think that's so interesting because that is, I don't think that that is a typical go-to when you think about trials, enduring, who to look for, for adversity, for joyfulness, amidst adversity, except for the death of her son. But I, I don't think that's a typical go-to. So I'm really interested in what do you think that we can learn from her life and how she dealt with things that came up for her that is applicable to us. Right. And I agree with you because I think that when we look at Mary, some of us, whether it's because of a faith that, you know, we were raised in or whatever, that we've put her in this place that she wasn't meant to be put because even though she was given an like idolizing her. Right. And even though she was given an extraordinary call to carry the Messiah, I mean, we're not, we don't take that away from her, but she is no different than you and I. And I think when God kind of gave her to me in the sense of like, we're going to go through her life because if anybody has put her on that pedestal, we need to know that she's just like us because all of us calling on our life. All of us have an extraordinary calling on our life. It's just different than what, than what he gave Mary. And so it's been an amazing time walking through her life and looking at things through her perspective, especially, you know, as a woman, but, but looking at her in a different light as like a, a normal human being, she just had this extraordinary calling. Right. And in Mary's life, going through each part of her life. And because I think, like you said, other than watching her son, you know, be tortured and die, we think, well, what she was perfect, you know, but Mary's, when you think about Mary's path, right. And what she must've been going through just throughout her life, there's things that were unknown for her. And she wasn't exactly sure how God was going to use her. So you have fears and anxieties and all that, but despite all of those things, she surrendered. She made a choice to surrender it all. She surrendered it all. She trusted more in who God was. She trusted in God moving forward. Right. And so it's all about, like I said before, making the decisions and Mary made the decision to trust God to trust God, to trust his word, to praise him 
through her suffering, trust him in the unknown. And she's, again, she surrendered everything to his will, not to however she thought her life was going to be. Because again, you know, you're talking a teenage girl at this time when she was told she was going to have Jesus, right? So you you have to think about the mind. I mean, it's not fully developed. When you just bring yourself to like, really think about Mary and everything that she had to do to trust him and to surrender him. But God is also the same for us. He's also calling us to practice trusting him daily with all our lives and his purpose for us with limited information, just like Mary, limited control, but we have to continue to trust God's path and provision. I love what you were use the word resilience earlier. When I think about, well, how do we do all these things? How do we trust God? How do we do? Well, we do it by adapting, enduring, and persevering. When Mary gave praises to God, when she sang praises, I think about my own life. There's a lot of times when I should be praising and I'm not. So she's a great example of during trials of her praising and why she praised and what that did. And I think that she understood the power of her praise and that it was going to sustain her through all of her upcoming trials. And she had no idea what was upcoming for her, but she knew that praising him was going to sustain her. So when we face trials, we also have to keep, keep an active praise on our lips to encourage us and to strengthen our spirits. And, God, and remember that God's goodness is, in, well, his goodness and faithfulness, consistent, it's constant, it's unwavering. And the same God who was faithful to Mary back then is going to be faithful to us today. And we, when I think of resilience in that, I think about, most of us think it's this toughness. And as Christians, it has nothing to do with being tough. It's, it's a lived hope. When I think of hope, we have to have in order to trust God and all these things when we think about trials is we have to have hope, not only trust, but we have to have hope, hope in the unseen. So as believers, we have something that's called biblical hope. And biblical hope is it's the absolute expectation of coming good, absolute expectation of coming good. And it is waiting for what we don't see. Hope is the oxygen for our soul, just like oxygen we need to breathe. I mean, it is literally the oxygen for our soul. So when we're in trials and that we have to... We tend to focus on the now, which is the circumstances. So we have to shift that attention off of whatever's going on now. And we have to shift it to the renewed assurance that God's will is best. And God's will is a not yet. We can't see it. Just like Mary. Mary had no idea. But God has given us the ability to endure trials. When we think about endurance, well, what is endurance? Because if you don't understand properly what endurance is, then you don't, how do you have it? So endurance is an act of abiding under a trial with faith in God as one's base. It's definitely easier for us to seek a way out during suffering than to remain under it. God has given us the ability to do it. And we can do it by persevering through a trial because persevering is seeing the not yet and still moving in that direction. And really endurance and perseverance, they're fruits of the spirits. They are Christ-like character traits that are developed and strengthen when, during, like you said, trials and suffering. And I love Romans 15, 4. It says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. So like I said earlier, there is purpose in pain and suffering and that God, he doesn't waste anything at all. And I love also 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. It says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in our weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of 
Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I, you and I, suffer for Christ. That for what? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So when we think about weakness, we have to remember that God has given us help in our weakness. He gave us a Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 27, it says, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us in, as believers in harmony with God's own will. So, I mean, think about that. We have somebody that's pleading to God on our behalf. Yes, we can live effectively in the tension of the now and the not yet. We can adapt and respond to suffering with endurance and perseverance. And we can only do that because we have that trust and that hope. And we live in that resilience and that um, all of that in living under that abiding. And we, we can we can only live in that if we trust and have that hope that God is who he says he is. And if we think he did amazing things for Mary, why wouldn't he do the same thing for us? Why marry a teenage girl who was a lowly girl just like us? God didn't choose her because she was sinless. She was a sinner in need of a savior. I mean, she's no better than you and I. I mean, and I think we forget that. We think she's the sinless just like Jesus. And I know some of us were raised like that, but that's wrong. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God chose her because she was sinless. She was a virgin and maybe a lot of us were not, but her qualifications had nothing to do with her being sinless. She was sin. She had sin and, and she was in need of a savior. Her son just happened to be the savior. So she is no different than you and I. So going through her life and walking through her life, what it showed me is just another story of another woman, because I'm a woman that I can relate to. I don't, I took her off whatever pedestal I had her on because she's just like me. I was 19 when I got pregnant the first time. I mean, I was a little older than her, but I didn't know. I had no idea what I was doing. So if you, well, I think the other lesson for it is that when we look at people in the Bible, we think, you know, well, they're a saint or they're a prophet or they're a disciple. They're so much better than me. They're not. They're in the Bible so that we can relate to them. They're just like us. I mean, they're absolutely like we are, they may have different sins, but they're just like us. They needed Jesus. They had to trust him. They had to, I mean, if Mary had to surrender Jesus to God, why do we not have to surrender our own life? I mean, who are you to say, oh, I don't have to surrender my life, but Jesus, the Messiah, had to be surrendered to his father. I mean, so just stop in the midst of your trial and your mess of a life and just look at some of these stories in the Bible and the lives that God gave us to look at and to compare to and say, well, who am I to say I don't have to do that when these people that I've put on these pedestals had to do it? We have to learn from those examples and we have to learn and say, okay, God, you put in the Bible as a lesson for me. Where do I learn from that? What can I learn from Mary? There's something about her life that will, that intersects with mine, that I can relate to her. There's so much that we learn from these lives. There's a reason they're in the Bible. So um, we think we got to come off their pedestal because we all have things that we do great for God, work that we do just like, but we're all fallen. Every one of us, Peter, Paul, David, Moses, Sal, everybody was all fallen, just like us. We're just have fallen in some of the same ways and some of the different ways. So there's so much to learn from Mary's life that I learned from that, that I had no idea other than knowing what we all know that she gave birth to, to Jesus, but there's so much power and there's so many lessons in her life that we can learn about what it looks like to trust God, to surrender to God, to sing praises to him and how that sustains us 
I mean, if you're not praising God with whatever you're walking through right now, which I'm walking through something, and I'll tell you now, because I am very transparent, I'm, I haven't been praising God. And I can see the difference when I'm not praising him and when I start praising him. So shame on me and shame on us. That's not our go-to, is that we have to praise him in those moments. That's what sustains us. That's what gets him through that says, God, no matter what, no matter what you brought me to, no matter what you've allowed me to be in right now, you're going to use it. And I, I'm going to see it. Maybe not right now, but I'm going to praise you anyways. I'm going to trust you that someday you're going to use this. and I'm going to glorify you. Your name is going to be glorified through this part of my testimony because he's always writing our story until he calls us home. But again, we have to be willing to be willing. We have to, we're all faced with that question of, am I willing to be willing? Am I willing to walk through this so that you can heal me so that someday you can use me? We're walking through stuff. We're healing through stuff so that God can use us to walk alongside another brother or sister and comfort them with the same comfort that God gave us. And I love the scripture because that is another promise from God. If you let him heal you, if you let him take you through a trial so that you learn, maybe he's got to dig out. Like you said, there's stuff in our heart. And God's like, we got to get all that nasty stuff out so that I can fully use you. If you keep it in there, that 10%, I can't fully use you. And you're hurting and you're in pain. And I don't want that for you. So I want to take that out. And also a reminder to all those that are listening or watching that oftentimes we don't start out holy when we're going through trials. Our response is not always holy. Our goal in our maturity, we should see that happen. That's what we should see. That's what we should be working towards. That's what we hope will be our response. Sometimes it's not. And we're at different places in our maturity. And also just sometimes we get knocked off harder than others. And sometimes we respond a little harsher than others in ungodly ways. If that is the case, if you get wrapped up in emotions, and you are just not in a rational, logical place, and you're all in your emotions, and then you realize, oh shoot, I have messed up. I have been ungodly, I have done ungodly things, I have not displayed the fruit of the Spirit, I need to pull it back in. This is a reminder that you can do so. You do not have to continue along that train of destruction. You can come back, and you can take that to the Lord and say, I'm sorry. This is how far I've gotten this far, and I don't want to go one more step that way. And he will receive you, and you can repent from that and grow from whatever it was that triggered you, that was able to trigger you that way and, and grow from your response and utilize that for the future that I don't want to respond that way again. Sometimes we say, well, I've already done it. I've already, you know, turned my back a little bit. No, 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 stop. And so they say, I've already turned my back a little bit. Can't turn back now. No, I'm reminding you. No, yes, you can. You can stop in a destructive path, even if you've hurt the people around you, even if you have pulled away from the Lord, even if you've gotten into some self-destructive behaviors, you can stop right then, yeah. cut the losses and turn right back towards the Lord and go back for healing and utilize that as an opportunity for growth for the future. Look at what is the Lord has revealed to you that is going on in your heart, do something with that, but always turn back towards him. He will accept you right back. I know that there's an audience filled with all different people and different things going on, but I want to reassure, or I want to maybe give some hope or encouragement to, to just kind of piggyback off of what you said, Kat, is that there isn't anything that you have done that you're doing right now or that you're going to do that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. You are not too far gone for the mighty hand of Jesus 
to reach down and pull you out of whatever pit you got yourself into. But it's that pride and humility that that keeps us from reaching up because a hand is always there. So so don't ever think there's a, that God can forgive some stuff, but there's this one thing that he just can't forgive. Because if that is true and you're a believer, then what is Jesus' death on the cross for? It is for all sin. It is, it is for everything, for everybody, any kind of sin you can commit. That is what his death is for. So don't let anybody tell you anything different or get yourself to a place that you feel like there's some things he can forgive you for, but this one thing you did, he can't because there is nothing, nothing that his blood will not cover and forgive. And remember that even though as believers, our life has been transformed, we were all far gone before we accepted Christ. All of us. It doesn't matter how pretty the package is. We are all far from the Lord and we're all lost before he saved us. So he can do that for you as well. So thank you so much for bringing that up. If we jump into our scripture section, Dana, do you have some scriptures that you think you've mentioned lots of scriptures and we're so thankful for it. Are there any particular ones you'd like to bring out for our scripture section today or remind us of? Yeah, there's two of them. And these have been scriptures that God has given me over the last like year and a half or two as we spent time going through Mary's life. So I give you the first one. I just want to tell you that the God of hope wants us to be filled with all and that word all is, I love that because it's not some, but all joy and peace and believing so that we will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Romans 15, 13 is why I believe that. It says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I usually read um, a lot of times when from the Amplified because it gives you a little extra. So that's one of them. And then the second one is through his word is pro- and his promises, we have the ability to overcome any trial. And that's John 16, 33, that says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have perfect peace. In the world, you have tribulations and distress and suffering, but be courageous, be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory abiding. I love those two scriptures because it reminds me that he's the source of hope, that he wants to give me all joy. I have the power of the Holy Spirit that resides in me so I can do anything, right? We're unstoppable because we have the Holy Spirit in us. And that I can overcome anything because Jesus has overcome the world. I don't have to try to overcome anything, you know? And again, like I said earlier, is that, that you know, I come from, from a place of victory. I'm not, I'm not walking to it. I'm walking from it. And I think we have to remember that because if we're always walking, you know, in a place of walking, you know, to victory, I think we're going in the wrong direction. The scriptures that came to my mind, the first one was John 15, 9 through 11, which you mentioned earlier. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That reminds me that the Lord wants us to have joy. He wants our joy to be full because he is joy. That is who he is. He wants us to be full of that. He doesn't want you just to be a partial joy, like you said. He wants it full. So that scripture calls out to me. While we were discussing things today, another scripture that called out to me in, about trials was 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, which is, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. 
I love that scripture as a reminder that, hey, even though hard times may come, we may be down, but we are not out. We are believers and he will see us through. If there was one, one particular thing that jumps out to you the most that you would want everybody listening or watching today to walk away with, that they would remember the most, what would that be? What would be your takeaway? Okay, well, you said one thing. So I'm just going to pretend that this is one thing bunched in. <laughs> it, all, it all goes together. But I would say this is that to remind us that God smooths the rough edges of our character by various trials and testing that build confidence in his purpose and provision for us. And joy is meant to be a hallmark of the Christian life, right? It's both a gift of God as well as a response to the gifts of God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So we best receive this gift when we focus on the truth of who God is commune with him through prayer and rely on the community of believers that he's provided. We have to have that connection with our brothers and sisters. Joy comes when we are aware of God's grace and we relish in his favor. So with this in mind, it's evident that one way to experience joy is to focus on God rather than dwelling on our difficulties or those things that are robbing our contentment, right? We can dwell on God. We need to dwell on God and not our circumstances. But it's not to say that we should deny our discontent or our stuff negative emotion. Following many examples that we were given by the psalmist, we can pour out our hearts to God. We can trust God when we pour out our hearts that he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to condemn us, right? We can tell him bluntly all the things that cause us pain and sorrow but then we submit those things to him and remember who he is and that we're happy in him and then we can experience that glorious inexpressible and unshakable joy and I love the word inexpressible because if you're trying to tell an unbeliever about the joy of God you really can't put it into words to fully express what it feels like to be filled with that joy of the Lord and even for believers sometimes when they're in the midst of something trying to remind them that we have this inexpressible joy it's hard to really grasp and I don't think we can fully grasp the true meaning of the joy of the Lord until we get to heaven. But I love those words, glorious, inexpressible, and unshakable joy, because that is, when we have the joy of the Lord, that's what it is. It's all three of those things combined in one. I love it. That was a golden nugget of a takeaway. So thank you. Can you give us your website one more time for Overcome Ministries? Yes, it's Overcome with jesus.org and again just get connected because we are going to have a support group coming up for post-abortive healing and i know we've got other bible studies coming up we have our retreat coming up cat look for something on boundaries because i know we'll be doing that too um but we're all about this year doing some really getting into these support group studies so because we need them we need them we have a world that's hurting even within the church we have people that are hurting that need healing and know that there are other people in the church just like them. So, yeah. Thank you again so much, Dana, for joining us today. Thank you so much for those that are listening, those that are watching today. We really appreciate you joining us. Just as a reminder, if you got benefit from today, if you enjoyed today, let us know. It would be an encouragement to us. Don't forget to follow and like. We are on most of the major audio podcast platforms. We are also on YouTube where you can listen if you'd like to, which is up. our audio is uploaded. You can also watch our videos if that is your preference. Feel free to check us out on Facebook and on Instagram, which we are on, where you will find some things that you won't on some of the podcast platforms. Specials, deals, we'll be letting you know, maybe giving you more information on the conference that's coming up, things like that. 
that. Also, snidbits, little golden nuggets of our interviews here, including this one that you're going to find on Facebook and on Instagram and YouTube that you might not find on the podcast platform. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so thankful for you. And would you close us out in prayer, Dana? Yes, yes. So, Father, Lord, I just thank you. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your, your promises. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And no matter what we're going through, whether we are sad, happy, mad, whether we're angry at you, or that um, you tell us to just to bring it to you and that you're going to carry our stuff for us. You're going to love us no matter what. Your love will never change. It's consistent, constant, and unwavering. And I pray that um, the people that are watching this today, that they will take your word, that they will take what you've poured in to this podcast. And they, they just won't leave it here, but they will take it with them. That it will penetrate their hearts and their lives and that they will make a choice today to follow you. Those that are not following you, they will make a choice to follow you. Or those that are believers that do love you, that they will make a choice today to surrender everything to you, surrender it all, allow you to carry all their stuff from them, and that they will choose joy today. They will choose to live in joy and not focus on their circumstances. And I pray all these things, God, especially this time of year, as we go into celebrating Christmas, we celebrate what Christmas is about, that you sent your son to live on this earth, to die so that we could have life and life abundantly. So we thank you and we praise you for loving us and caring about us and not leaving us where we were at, but pulling us with your strong hand out of that miry, yucky pit that we put ourselves in and wanting to heal us and use us. So bless um, everybody who's listening right now. Lord, will you meet them where they're at? Will you bless them and protect them? And we just want to give you all praise and all glory. And I pray all these things in the most precious name that we know, and that is Jesus, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for that. We will see you, we will see you viewers and listeners later. Ciao. Bye-bye.